I'm Laura Clinton, and this is KindredCast, unfiltered conversations with the business and cultural leaders who shape the world we live in. KindredCast is a production of Kindred Media, powered by LionTree, the independent investment and merchant bank for creativity, community, and capital. All right. Welcome, everyone, to KindredCast. I'm Alex Michael, co-head of LionTree Growth here at LionTree. And today, I'm joined by an amazing duo. And I have a long history with both, one who knows of that history (laughs) and one who was just part of my history. I'm talking about Matt Vlasic, who I grew up with here, and we'll talk about why that's all relevant. And of course, the captain, Mark Messier, of the famous 1994 Stanley Cup champion Rangers, and of course, a Hall of Fame career overall, and much, much more. We'll get into it. But Matt and Mark, thanks for being here. Great to be with you. Yes, thank you for having us. Really excited to do this, again, given the history and just how exciting your guys' trajectory has been. We're here to talk about your new business, and it's one that I think most people listening will not have heard about. This is part of unveiling it a little bit, so we're excited to share it. This is it. a big reveal. It's yeah. a big reveal. Yeah, here we the, are. The business is called Game 7. Game 7, which is a big term, certainly in your lifetime. And you've been a huge part of that. I think you were part of nine Game 7s. Correct. Nine Game 7s with a 7-2 and two record, which is uh, pretty good. I'm pretty Not proud of that. Not too bad. Not too bad. What was your plus minus? Uh, that I would have no oh, idea what it is. We don't know. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Stats didn't mean anything. There's only one stat Just, that matters, the W. There it is. That's the winner's <laughs> mentality. So you both are just very accomplished people in your own rights. Matt, I think people won't know your story as well as Mark's, of course. Beyond growing up with me here in New York City, you have been in the music industry for a very long time, had very successful runs. Most recently, you were CEO of Bravado, which was the merchant touring arm of Universal. Did I get that right? Merchant branding. Merchant yep. branding. Thank That's you. Correct. And you worked with small artists, such yeah. as? <laughs> a couple small artists. Rolling Stones, Kanye West, oh. Taylor Swift. Okay. No, not small artists. I was very fortunate to work with some of the biggest artists in the world and uh, very fortunate to work with some of the biggest athletes in the world. So I've been very fortunate in my career. So let's get into that. So before people are like, what's Game 7, what's Game 7? And then they won't listen to what we're saying. Matt, what is Game 7? Well, besides the two greatest words in sports, yes, Game 7 is a performance lifestyle platform that we are building that will underscore the journey to success through content series, community experiences, and consumer products. Wait, stop right there. That's a lot. It's a lot. Performance lifestyle business. Platform. 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 (laughs) I missed the platform. Very important. (laughs) Platform is important because it's it's the foundation of everything you build. Okay. Look, Game 7, as I just said, two greatest words in sports. I didn't coin that. Actually, King James himself did numerous times. Where he, Which, LeBron or it, the original? No, LeBron, oh, okay. LeBron. The present-day King James. Okay, thank you. And we really feel that it's important. And partnering with Mark, who's, as we discussed, played nine game sevens and amazingly won seven, we feel that it's such an important term, and not only an important term in sports, but one that can translate to everyday life. As we were kids on that field, in Riverdale yeah. playing, you know, football. It wasn't a literal game seven, but I remember us always fourth quarter, 10 seconds left. And, and every kid has experienced that where it's bottom of the ninth or whatever it is. Same thing in moments. hockey, third period. And uh, we think that those moments can translate. And if we can hear the stories 
from the greatest who played like Mark and some of the others that we can talk about that are part of this venture, we think we can inspire people to really become their best and ultimately just building this entire community around game seven and then um, bringing out different offerings for that community. So do you own this brand? I mean, that's a good name, I must say. You got the name right here. It's not a bad name. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we came across Game 7 and a small company that was doing some a small product and stuff. And actually, the sort of story behind it is they had a picture of Mark in the deck. One of our other co-founders, a guy that by the name of Isaac Chira, was presented the deck to invest. And he phoned up Mark because he knew Mark. And he, he said, why didn't you tell me about this thing? He said, I have nothing to do with it. But if it's game seven and they have any rights to any sort of mark, trademark, whatever, we need to buy it. So they bought it. So you could buy game seven. That's a thing you can buy. Well, from this transaction, they acquired certain trademarks. Got it. I met up with them and our vision was grand. Mark's vision was grand. Game seven was so important to him. He saw so many spokes on the flywheel. And in order to do that, we had a lot of work to do behind the scenes before we brought this out. And a lot of that was shoring up trademarks, figuring out the classes that we wanted to operate in, and then going out and securing those. And that was a very long process. You can't just go in to the store and buy Game 7, per se, right. but you can spend a lot of time with some great counsel and a significant amount of money and acquire the rights around that you need to build the brand, or we need to build the brand the way we want to build the brand. Okay, so we got Game 7. Yeah. So Isaac knew you, Mark. We're good friends. And Isaac knew Matt. Yes. And you guys didn't know each other. No. And okay. Isaac didn't know Matt either. Oh, okay. No, me and Isaac had a mutual friend that we were got connected it. through. And you're like, guys, we've got this piece of gold here. We've got game seven. Well, we needed someone to harness all the ideas. And, and maybe bring it to life. And because it it's just life. an idea. Execution is 99%. his background is a perfect uh, scenario for us. So we're grateful that uh, Matt showed up on our doorstep and, <laughs> Ready and, to go. Uh, and kind of uh, crystallized all the ideas that we had, but really distilled it down into what we need to do first and foremost, build a community. I'll just add to that. I've seen the power of community and audience around rallying around an artist or a piece of IP. You could sort of boil that down. And, yep. and you could say that about it, a Disney or a music artist. They are ultimately producing IP and then there's a fandom around it and then you monetize it. Right. And what I saw with Game 7, we did a quick little survey, not rep survey, like went through the motions and um, one in every two people. It's like ingrained in them. And we talked about before being that little kid. Yeah. And even people who aren't super fans of sports, my mom, for example, she walks into me and my brother watching and it's game seven or it's the Super Bowl or it's the championship or it's the fifth set, right? Any of these pinnacle moments where it's you win or you go home and all of a sudden she's got the goosebumps, the tears are flowing and it's a high drama situation. So we felt that there was so much opportunity around those two words. And then with the ability to have that audience it wasn't much difference than one of the biggest artists in the world or one of the biggest pieces of content in the world. No, it makes a lot looking from the outside, it's sort of strange bedfellows, but then when you unpack it, like you're saying, it makes complete sense of why this combination. And I'd be loath to not mention that you have a fourth partner, it's yeah. Danny DeVito. <laughs> <laughs> so help me understand how Danny DeVito is part of this mix, please. Well, he's great friends with uh, Isaac Chira. Okay. Uh, so that started there. And Isaac often asked him if he wants to invest in some of the things he's doing. He told him about Game 7. 
he really liked the idea. He liked the thought of uh, what Game 7 represented in a lot of different ways. And he told us a story about what his Game 7 moment was himself, uh, cutting uh, hair in New Jersey, getting ready to come in and audition for Taxi. Came in there and picked up the script and tore it in half and threw it back at the people uh, doing the interview. Said, who wrote this piece of crap? And they go, you're Larry De Palma? Yeah. You're Larry De Palma. Louis De Palma. Louis De Palma. Louis De Palma, Palma, sorry. Louis De Palma. And he got the script. But he reflects back on that going in there. That was his pinnacle moment. That was his Game 7 moment. That was his make or break opportunity to really do something and kind of get himself in the trajectory of the career that he wanted to uh, pursue. And it's no different performing under pressure. What allows us to, you know, get out of our own way um, and perform in those peak situations there that, you know, loaded with pressure expectations. And he was able to do something that probably nobody expected at that moment in that interview. Like what was... Maybe he didn't expect. And he didn't. But whatever (laughs) happened, he knew what Louis De Palma was and who he was supposed to be. And he nailed it. And he he ended up getting the part. And I'm glad we mentioned that because this isn't just about sports. This is about life. And I think the question we want to ask ultimately to move away from sports because we think it's a much bigger platform than just sports because everybody at some point in their life is going to be faced with those critical decisions in those game seven moments in your life, no matter whether you're an artist or a musician or a businessman or a politician or whatever. How do you uh, respond? How do you respond when you're faced with uh, some big decisions and you have to make not only make the correct decision, but then you have to act on it and you have to perform? I took this from somewhere else, but I, I think you've characterized this as not sudden death, but sudden opportunity. I think if you look at it as an opportunity, and I think that word gets overused too much as an opportunity, because there is a tremendous amount of pressure when you spend 82 games, six months, two months in the playoffs, and it comes down to two teams. They've battled each other three games apiece, and here you are going into game seven. There's a tremendous amount of pressure and expectations, and of course, someone is going to lose. That's the reality of it. And I think that's what, to Matt's point of bringing in his mom to watch something that she's not even interested in, but she becomes interested the in. The human it. drama, the performance. Yes, yeah. Uh, yeah, all of that. Yes. Uh, and I think that's why when a game seven is being played, it transcends sport. It becomes bigger than that. Yeah, so I think the opportunity for us is to share those stories about how people at the elite level not only prepare, but execute under the most extreme uh, situations. Yeah, I just want to go back to Danny for a second because I think for me, hearing Danny resonate so much with Game 7. This is a guy who's not a massive sports fan. He likes sports, but yeah. you know he's not an athlete. But he wears a Game 7 hat every day. Every day he's out there with a Game 7 hat. It resonates so much to him. And hearing his story and how much it resonated was almost a little bit of validation that this thing can go further. And even if it didn't, even if it just stayed within sports, sure. it's still a pretty nice size market right there. But the fact that it could go further and penetrate even further and one in every two people intimately know the name and understand what Game 7 is, that's pretty exciting. It's a good start. Yeah, I it's mean, a good you're start. Just coming well, we've got over 100 years of content already, and we're going to have another 100 years coming in the future. So we're never going to be short of content. That's for sure. 401 Game 7s have been played in modern sports. Well, I like the stats. Okay, 401 Game 7s. We look at Game 7 as the literal, which is baseball, basketball, hockey, but then beyond that, right? right. So the, the, the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl. Again, every playoff game in the NFL. Right. And we've talked to people, we were talking to McEnroe the other day, and he alluded to the fifth set was our Game 7 and, right. and talked Olympics, about how he... Yeah. Exactly. So we want to, and if we do our job right in the storytelling, we will be able to sort of break out of that. But even if we didn't, if we, if we just Pretty stuck good. in those three. So like, 4-1 across those three sports. That's a lot. Yeah. And a lot more to come. 
So it's going to be, well, it's the brand. We've got that. Yep. To your point, you mentioned spokes. So let's think of it as the center as the hub. Yep. And then you're going to have these spokes that are content, content series, content clips. You're going to have merch. You're going to have events. You're going to have all- experiences, hospitality. We've got a lot in store and, and we're excited to really start to unveil those. And, and really this, as Mark said, is sort of our coming out party of what we've been doing for the last two years and planting the flag that we are game seven and, and what we're going to do. And this week we'll announce some stuff. And then uh, into 2024, we will continue to announce more and more stuff. And it'll be a nice cascade of exciting activity for us. But our focus here at game seven is really building the IP, building the content and building the audience ultimately around that. Right. Because that's that critical. Engagement. Yeah. Let's go back to game seven, because I think so much of this and why it's just so incredible to have you involved as someone who's really synonymous with that type of event, maybe as a, especially for New York fans or especially Rangers fans, talk about, you, we mentioned you played in nine of these things, some of the most memorable, at least for this group, although we're, we're giving short change to Edmonton, I apologies there, but for the New York, you played in 92, you had one game seven, in 94, you had two game sevens, of course, the Devils and the conference finals, and then the Canucks to win the cup. How did you do it? What is the secret behind Mark Messier and the performance in those moments? Well, it's not I did it. I think it's we did it for starters. It all starts, I think, with a group of players that become a team. So many times players refer to themselves as a group. Well, I've never won with a group. I'm one of the team. And a group is not a team until you've actually earned the right to call yourself a team through experiences, both through failure and success. So when I look back at 94, I, I think about the trajectory that when I first came to New York in 91, 92, when the President's Trophy lost in the playoffs, which every New York team did at the time. Yeah. So the next year with a lot of injuries to miss the playoffs. So we kind of rode this roller coaster up all the way down to missing the playoffs and all the way back to third year in New York, winning the President's Trophy again. And then, of course, going on and having tremendous success in the playoffs. When you say, how did we do it? I think it was a collaboration of many things. It was a journey of commitment, of trust, of dedication, I think the pressures that we were under that year, it had now become 54 years since the New York Ranger team had won the Stanley Cup. And everything that we did well that year, we were faced with, yeah, but in such and such a year, the team did the same thing only to fail in the playoffs or during the regular season, only to kind of flame out. So there was all that that we we're fighting against, the curses, the ghosts, the demons, but we had such an amazing team, both from a character standpoint and from a mix of young talent and hard, gritty veterans that blended perfectly together. Zero ego. We collectively, I think, went on the journey and felt the need to do something special for all the obvious reasons, not only because of the organization, this history, the original six, the 54-year-old drought, the fandom, the incredible four generations of fans that were sitting in the stadium at any one time at MSG. But we were able to compartmentalize all that and really kind of just continue to distill it down to what we had to do. And I always say in big moments, you got to execute. And where you get the trust to execute is because of the practice that you put in, the time that you put in. Nobody was going to outwork us. We had convinced ourselves and trusted each other to prepare to the best of each other's ability. And so with that becomes this overwhelming feeling of confidence. Unfortunately, coaches and people can't carry five gallons of buckets and lay it on the table and say, here's your confidence. Confidence right. is earned, right? You have to earn confidence. And the way you earn it is through the work that you put in. 
And you know that you put in more work than the guy that you're squaring up against. So preparation, practice. Preparation, practice, but also the commitment and dedication. But isn't everyone committed at that stage? You're in the NHL, you're on the big show. No. I don't think so, no. No. No, because winning is hard. And playing in a winning program, everybody thinks it's really fun and I want to do that. But actually, when you get into a winning program, it's sure hell because of the pressures, expectations. You can never relent. And it's not for everybody. And yeah, you can play at the National Hockey League level because you're talented. But to commit to win is a completely different animal than actually playing the game just to make a living and play in the league. It is, I can only tell you that (laughs) having experienced a few times uh, and been on both sides of it, it, it's completely different. Do you get nerves? Did you have nerves? I was nervous before every game I played because I expected a lot of myself and I felt that nerves were a sign for me that I was ready. I never let, I shouldn't say never let, I learned to use the nerves as fuel and not get paralyzed by the moment. I didn't ever, or I tried not to get ahead of myself, think about the what ifs while the game was going on. Most people think that you want to not let those feelings in. I always felt that day before a game, it was important for me to think about failure, visualize a failure. What would it feel like for me to lose this game? That was motivation. It was a normal stream of consciousness that you needed to allow yourself to work yourself through. Otherwise, it would be a tense moment for you trying to block it out. And so I wanted to be completely relaxed. And I think when you play your best, we call it the zone, but the zone is basically just a form of mindfulness, awareness, and being present. And that's what I tried to do. I tried to find the zone on command. And I think most players just wondered why they had a good game and why everything just went right for them. I was interested in why I didn't, I didn't want to just say, oh, I had a good game tonight and not ask any more questions. I thought that if I could play a game like that, how come I couldn't play a game like that when it mattered most? So that deep level of concentration, get rid of all the distractions so you can singular focus on what you need to do and then trust the work that you put in. To me, that was very helpful in big pressure situations. You were able to tunnel vision. Did the crowd exist in these games? Yes, I wanted to feel it all. But at certain moments, so getting back to the day before, so I allow myself to fail. But then it always ramps up to success. I've gone through the process of distilling through all these scenarios of what could happen, what injury, something goes down, everybody's got a plan to get punched in the nose, as they say, all the stuff that could go on. But ultimately, as you get closer to the game, you start to focus in on success and what I need to do to be successful. And we've done this all year long. Every big game that we've played this year, we've won because we've done what? And that's what you focus in on. And by game time, you're just really kind of in that real sublime moment of There's concentration. Clarity. There's super clarity. I, I could be out talking to anybody and I'd feel so relaxed and comfortable. And uh, Is that in, what in you felt? Moments. There's the famous New York Post cover of game six of that Devils Conference Finals where you said, I guarantee we win. That was a little bit different there. That was a different scenario for me personally. I don't know if you want to get into that, but if... Well, just quickly, I mean, I'm just listening to what you're saying, and then it it seems like that journey you go on from seeing failure to seeing success, and I want to be on the success side, could bring a clarity and almost maybe a bravado about it. Well, you got to believe you can win. Yeah. You have to believe you can win. And so, I mean, if you don't believe that you can win, then you have zero chance. And that was just an opportunity for me to let the team know that I really believe that we could win. There's no reason why we wouldn't believe we could win because we beat the Devils all year long. Right. We just need to figure out a way to play better. We weren't playing poorly, but the Devils were playing great. 
And that what you do is you look around the dressing room, you look each other in the eye and you ask yourselves, are we going to go home? Or do you have more to give? Do you have more to give? Can you go further? Can you push yourself harder? Do you want it more than the guy next to you? And you have to have those kind of conversations and be brutally frank with each other. And right. if you're not willing to do that, then you can never push yourself further because it's too easy to go home. It's too easy just to lay down when you get down and things aren't going your way and, well, it's not our year. But no, those are the times we- That go. was your leadership. That was the captaincy. It was trying to pull that. You did it for yourself and there's leading by example, but then you were also pushing others. Well, I think you got to lead from behind and yep. you got to pull up and you got to push up. It's just the fact. And I had a lot of help throughout my career. In 94 team, we had 10 guys that could have been captain. Right. So, it, you know, hence the book, No One Wins Alone. Uh, and you, you had you, been you, there. You can't do it. Yeah, you had been there. Yeah, This was not the first I knew what it looked like. Yeah. I know what it's supposed right. to feel like. I know right. what it's supposed to smell like. I know the ambience around the team that's supposed to be when you're there. We had it all. We just needed to figure out how to push harder and not let ourselves down. So that's what we did. And what else have you learned or did learn or bring today of leadership? Because there's the game seven moment of just living up to that as a person, as we're talking about. And then there's the extra onus of you're the captain of the ship. How does that translate? Well, I never looked at myself as a captain of the ship per se. I had the luxury of coming into the league as a fourth line left winger that worked my way up the lineup and then playing behind Wayne and Edmonton and understanding every role in the team. I basically played every role in the team. So I understood the challenges of guys that don't get on the ice a lot, the feeling that they don't have that they're contributing. You know, how do you make them feel a part of it? What is the validation that they need in order to, um, if they're only playing two, three shifts a game, if those two or three shifts aren't the best that they can give, then it's not going to be enough. But how do you validate that that's what we need from you. Because normally you got players playing in positions that are overqualified on a championship team. And you have to sell the idea that this is what we need from you. If we're going to win, we're here to win. The stage is big enough for everybody. And if you're able to get outside of yourself and your own ego, and you're able to do what's best for the team on any given night, even though it's not the perfect scenario for you, we have a chance. You spend six months, 82 games selling this vision of how we're going to go about it. Because if you don't know where you're going, how the hell are you going to get there? Not only where you're going to go, how are you going to get there, but the roadmap to get there. And I'm sure there's going to be bumps and you got to pivot and you got to change strategy and Leaders make mistakes. I made a million mistakes. But if you build up the equity, the trust factor, if you make a mistake, then you can pull back and go back around a different way and do something different or look at something different. Do you think underlining that was, I would characterize as empathy, that the leadership, at least your successful leadership, had empathy, that you understood everyone? If you had been a phenom from the start, do you think you would have the same Wayne was a phenom from the start and he had empathy. He had the ability to get out of his own head to understand what everybody else is feeling around them. I think it's partly learned from your childhood and your environment growing up. And I think it's also having been and seeing how championships are won. I saw championships being won when I was a stick boy for my dad in junior hockey. So I saw how my dad galvanized his team through this concept of family and camaraderie and everybody's in together and under any circumstance, you know, we're going to fight together. We're going to love each other. We're going to, you know, battle and we're going to go through this whole crazy journey together. And you have to decide whether you can fit into that kind of culture. I don't want to get into culture because I think culture sometimes is over talked about, but culture is absolutely paramount for any team success and building that culture. Makes sense. I get it now, by the way. I'm ready to run through this podcast <laughs> wall. Like, who wouldn't do? You could send me anywhere. I'm ready to go. Are you that, kidding and me? And that's some of the things like, oh my that, gosh, that, just that I can share just spending the last two years 
that I have with Mark and learning from him. And like you said, you could run through the wall on yeah. a Saturday night. I was driving with my son and daughter and and he had, my son had some of his friends and we were driving into town in Rhinebeck and past the fairgrounds. And there was a sign that said event parking this way, race day tomorrow, expect traffic. And I don't remember who it was, but one of the kids said, can you do that? I'm not a runner. I do train. So I know that I wasn't going to injure myself, yeah. Mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, I went and ran the half marathon yesterday. You just did it. Just did it. The entire time, I knew I wasn't going to get hurt because I was physically prepared. Yeah. I, no one should go do it if they're not going to sure. make it, right? <laughs> sure. like, I, let's caution that one. And I knew it was just going to be a mental struggle, but pulling from my conversations with Mark and these five pillars, if you will, of dedication and preparation and ambition and focus and ultimately gratitude, I sort of push myself through those 13.1 miles. Second time I've only ever run 13 miles. I rarely run more than three or like a 5K. Did it in almost like four hours, a little over four. No, two hours and two 15 hours. minutes. Oh, yes. Which would put page, me on yeah. pace for a decent yeah. marathon. And look, I, all I wanted to do is keep one foot going in front of the other and finish and not stop running once. I never thought of gratitude as such a motivator oh, and, and sitting there running and just being so happy that I can do that and that I was motivated by some of these things. And it's just going back to what you said, like ready to run through the wall. That's how we want to inspire people. And you hear a story like Mark's very specific to this moment in time, but there's a lot of stories in those moments in time and that we can extract them and really learn from them. And that's overall our mission to really help people through these stories that they can really relate to because we've all grown up watching these moments. And I know exactly where I was in 1994. And no offense, I wasn't even a real hockey fan or Rangers fan. I mean, I was rooting for the Rangers because I was New York and those other guys, yeah. you, know, you can't, you know, yeah. Rangers. But I wasn't a diehard Rangers yeah. fan, but that that night, that moment, that oh, changed New York cultural, City history. It was, it was incredible. But give me those five pillars. So those five pillars are essential to game seven. Yeah, it's really what we've identified as those pillars or those traits that you need to possess or want to emulate. And it's dedication, preparation, focus, gratitude, and ambition. And I love that. Each are wow. important. We've distilled it down to five. We started with probably 25. Yeah. <laughs> it's really important. And, and that got me through that race to just saying to myself, like, here's my ambition. It's to get through this without stopping. Here's my focus. I am prepared. Here's my determination. I'm so happy that I can be a beautiful day, all these things. And yeah. never once did I have a grimace on my face. Usually I would have been like, ah, what am I doing? I don't hate running. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been done. I would have made me down in the race, but it just shows you can do it. But I think those five pillars are the zeitgeist of game seven, right? It's trying to capture that. Well, I think there's a reason why people are successful. And that's what I really want to tease out here, because if it's the analyst of the bank to the CEO of the pharmaceutical, what are they going to get out of this content and this lifestyle? What are you trying to get them to learn? That's what I really want. To, well, because no one can be Mark Messier, but they can think like Mark Messier. They can perform like Mark Messier prepare, did in those moments. They can focus. They can have empathy. They can have gratitude. They can have compassion. They can have all the things that I think it takes. I thought I was in a hockey business for 26 years. I was basically in the people business for 26 years. And it's, it's a big difference. Of course, I played hockey and the hockey was a vehicle. But ultimately, we are in the people business and we have to galvanize a group of players every September and form a team. And I don't use the word team lightly because it takes a lot of work to become a team. You, just because you come to training camp in September, you're not a team. You're not even close to a team. So what is it? What are the triggers that are going to, what are the motivations? For me, motivation, 
everybody that's a hockey player, everybody in business, musician, everybody's motivated for a different reason. Hockey players I've seen come and go. Some are motivated for the money. Some are motivated for the fame. Some are motivated trying to impress their father, the relationships, whatever it might be. So getting to know those triggers was important. But more importantly, I want to inspire you. I don't want to sit here and be responsible for motivating each and every player every day. That's got a short term. And then it becomes compliance. And then compliance gets into you got to do it because I told you you got to do That'll it. That'll never. And it's, that's a short term. Uh, and I think the coaches and the teams that have done it well get more into the inspiring the players. What, right. what inspires you to come here and give everything you have in your life to this team, to this journey that we're about to go on? I think that can kind of separate the philosophies a little bit, if you will. Sure. And I felt that trying to get the best out of any one player, if you could help them inspire themselves, they would ultimately take the next level there and you didn't have to motivate. They would come in already motivated. And then we just got to figure out how the best they use you in certain areas or how you fit well, into the system, how you fit into the culture, right. all that kind of it stuff. It certainly works. And I imagine you have to play with it, right? Because I guess when you start in your career in Edmonton, you had... Wayne there and you had other people and you were the younger guy and then you learned certain things, but you weren't the guy, I guess. And then you become the guy and then you take what you like from those people and you make it your own. Well, I've never thought of myself as the guy. I'll call you the guy. I was the, I felt that I was so reliant on everybody around me. I never had the talent. I couldn't play like Mary Lemieux or Wayne. And so my success came from the ability to galvanize a team and bring everyone because we're at strength in numbers. Yeah. There's the gratitude. The gratitude. And I was grateful for the players that actually felt and would dedicate themselves to the cause. And you got to identify that very quickly. And people come into the team, either through trade or whatever, with some kind of reputation, good, bad, or indifferent. We just did everything. Just come in. We'll identify you. We'll show you how we do it here. We've created this culture that we know can be successful. We're going to give you every opportunity to come in here and to grab an oar and start rowing. Ultimately, it'll be your decision whether you can stay or not, because if you can't do that, if you don't have it in you to conform and to come into the culture and be a part of it, there's a big red flag. This isn't the right place for you. This yeah. isn't the right place. And, 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 but the reason why teams and organizations fail year after year, 10, 20 years, they keep failing because they don't have a culture. They don't know who's good. They don't know who's buying in. They don't know what they're even asking for of the players. It's a hamster wheel. So that's just a shot in the dark. Oh, we're going to get him. We're going to get him. And meanwhile, great people have come and gone because you didn't have the culture. There was nothing for them to fit into. Right. It's not just looking at pure athletic basis or pure skill set. Athletic basis is paramount, obviously. But if you don't have the character and the guts and determination to get out of your own way and surrender yourself to the team, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter in the end. So, Matt... Why do we need another sports media business here? There have been a lot of recent successes in the celebrity big athlete world. You obviously have Peyton Manning and Omaha Productions who's on the program. We have LeBron and Spring Hill. Colin Coward has the volume. There are all these vehicles, Hello Sunshine. Why now? Why this? And you have a great brand, sure. But why are you going to succeed? It's a cluttered landscape. Media is a component, but I don't look at us as a media company. I look at us really as that brand first, that IP first, that intellectual property that we're building that I think 
the all those people and companies you just mentioned, which are all amazing, and I watch all their offerings, and I think what they're doing is great. I think where we really differentiate is the focus on that IP and the building out of that IP, and it not just being about a show or a podcast or something specific and it being a much bigger piece with the flywheel. Yep. Exactly. And on top of that, that that IP resonates so much with people today before we've even really put our arms around it and started to build the content and ultimately the community. Just in the last 90 days or so, as we've started to make a little bit of noise on social media and started to put it out there, the numbers have been pretty amazing of how we've reached people and the stickiness of it because it's such an important Everyone thing. Everyone has that association. To me, that's one thing that really differentiates us and that focus of really focusing on that IP, building that IP, building that community around one thing, not 10 different shows or 10 different properties, et cetera. Well, and in fact, in some ways it feels, well, you're not that focused on any one thing, but actually, at least in my opinion, it's the way companies are going to be built in the future, which is, again, brand first, spokes of monetization because really you're seizing on an endemic audience, a passion, and you're looking for all the ways to get at their wallet, which is commercial, but that's the point. It's ultimately a for-profit endeavor. And it may be the live event for these people. It may be the podcast. It may be the show. It may be the t-shirt, maybe all of the above, but it's not the channel. It's not the show. It's really about how they all complement each other. And I think that's what you're doing. That's exactly right. And yes, ultimately it is for profit and we will get to the wallet, but first and foremost, it's the heart. We think that this really touches the heart and we know it touches the heart and hearing these stories, you're getting goosebumps, I'm getting yeah. goosebumps. And there's many of these stories to tell and we're singularly focused. You make a good point. Like we have ambition to do all these things. And to be clear, from a business standpoint, we don't plan to operate all those things. Right. And that's why on our content side, we brought in Connor Shell's words and pictures and Danny DeVito. They'll be doing some of the content. Yep. And yep. Danny DeVito's Jersey film, Second Avenue production company to help us with that. And like that and all of our other endeavors and verticals, we will bring in partners who are actually operating those businesses. And the because, best of what they do. Yeah, best yeah. in class operators. There's no way we could do all that, but we will singularly be focused on those two words and that's it. Got it. No, it makes sense. I love Connor stuff. That'll be great. We're getting into the third period here. Not to, I told <laughs> you, I, I, I went, <laughs> is I went your lucky fifth? on is the jokes. No, I, you know, we talked about how many hockey jokes I could make. <laughs> I just wanted to touch on one thing. We spent a lot of time here at Lion Tree on youth sports and the youth sports industry, which is massive, as you probably know. Of course, we were here earlier talking with one of our leaders here at Lion Tree, and the first thing he's talking about is kids, and you knew the programs they were in and the teams and there seems to be, and I'd love to hear how you've thought about it over the years, because in the 80s or the 70s or whatever, you're a great athlete, you start playing hockey when you're young, you figure out now it's like, if you don't have a stick and you're not scoring goals by age four, you're not going to be uh, in the NHL, right? And the parents, especially hockey, hockey's a brutal endeavor for parents. Oh, you're up at 5 a.m., right? You're taking your bags, you're going to Kalamazoo when you're based in New York to do a tournament. How do you think about that, Mark? You clearly were at the pinnacle of the game. You had kids who played. At least one son was two, made, son, two, two sons, sons who played yeah. professionally. What do you think about this whole youth sports industrial complex? It is quite intense, at least here in the United States. Yeah, that, there's a lot to unpack that this could be a separate show in itself. That's but true. I would say when I was starting hockey, playing hockey, hockey players were on par with doctors, physicians, lawyers. There wasn't a big Delta in salaries. And so it was just another job. You know, I 
grew up playing seasonal hockey from October till March, whatever it was, for 50 games, didn't travel, played all the other sports in the summer. And that's the way everybody did it. You played soccer, you played lacrosse, you played football, baseball in the summer because you, you know, it was a chance to become a more well-rounded athlete for one, not put too much stress, obviously at a younger age and overuse and all the injuries. The other thing there is that I've seen is a funnel up effect. And we know all the travel programs are spitting out a lot of great hockey players. The problem with the travel teams and the demand that it puts on the families, first of all, it's super expensive. Not every child is physically ready for that at any certain age. We're basically cannibalizing 90% of our athletes, boys and girls, that aren't ready for that, don't have the financial support to do that, or the family structure in order to go to a road trip every weekend. Right. What are we doing with the other 90% of the athletes that aren't ready, don't have financial support, aren't physically because of the birth date, they're basically left behind. And so basically we're cannibalizing all sports and our talent that's available if we had programs that spent just as much time and energy as elite programs for the kids that aren't ready to check at 14, they're just too small, the chance of getting hurt. But they could spit out of that if we gave them just as good as coaching, just as much ice time and all that, because now they're going to let their bodies develop and mature and be more ready for it. So I think it's a problem in that regard. We're overdoing it? I'm not dogging the program at that level because it does fit some profiles very well. Yeah. But it doesn't fit all the profiles. And we're not doing a good enough job on the profile of the player that doesn't fit it. Right, who isn't that fast, that early. Already there, physically, emotionally. Financially, they don't have that. But what are we doing to help them continue to play? And then you never know. And my guess is if we did just as good a job on that side of it as we do on the elite level, there would be kids that spit out of it. They would spit out of it at a later time. Right. Or not, or just stay fans and stay like engaged in the sport. Right. I feel we But overuse, we see it on all sports. Right. Uh, You You have to focus. More coaches won't allow players to play. If they don't come to practice, they can't play because they're at lacrosse and then they can't play the football game. I mean, I, I don't understand that. Yeah. We should be encouraging our kids to play multiple sports, especially at a younger age. And of course, everybody wants to win, but the almighty W uh, trumps everything at that (laughs) age, right? Everybody's got to win and you got to have be there. That's the intensity. That's when they could use the uh, mentality. You guys just did a transaction in the youth sports space, right? We've done a number. We've been lucky to be around everything from Cal Ripken, speaking of another legend, Ripken baseball, to Game Changer, to Pixelot, to Play On. You know, we really believe in it and technology enabling both content and also engagement. And it's a very fragmented space. And from maybe, a business maybe, maybe we need to think about Game 7's yeah. reach into you. Yeah, you do. But hopefully doing it the right way too. But in those examples, you see how much spend is going into this. You see how much focus. And frankly, I don't see it changing. It is what it is. Oh, yeah. Well, as soon as you put the money into it, you know, from the training, the private training, all that, you're right. It's cats out of the it's bag. Staggering. Yeah. And no one does it. Every parent wants that advantage or wants to make Johnny or Joni feel like they could play in college or whatever. It's just an interesting thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. That's what I'm, but I, as a business opportunity, it's very fragmented. It's very big. And it continues to grow. So anyhow, I was just curious as your thoughts. We'll sidebar on that. Yeah, we'll sidebar (laughs) on that. We're ready to go. So overtime here. Well, we've kept you way too long. You have much more important things. But we have just a few questions as we do on most of these shows to get to know you guys a little bit beyond just the story or the business. So I'm going to ask you three questions about some of your interests. 
That's it. Very easy. Lightning round. No sudden death. Mark, what's a podcast you listen to beyond Kindred Cast? I know you listen to the Lion Tree one, but are of there course. any ones you recommend? Of course, my favorite. The... Yes, thank you. Keep going. <laughs> Kindred Cast is number one. Thank you. All um, the episodes. <laughs> this is the 150th episode. Wow. This, what an honor. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Streamers or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, psh, okay. Yeah. Do you listen to podcasts? Audiobooks? Yeah, I, I would say if I was going to listen to, uh, say, uh, Joe Rogan. Yeah. Okay. I really like him. Okay. Yeah. Well, how about this? This is a music one, and Matt, you get to answer this too, because I know you're the music guy. But you know how in baseball, when they walk up, they get a song? Yeah. If you were a baseball player, what song would that be? Oh. I like this question. I wow. just came up with that's it. Wow, one. that's a wow. good one. That's, I got so yeah. many. I'm a music lover. God. What darn. song defines Mark Messier? Oh, I... You want to come back and have Matt answer? Wow, that's a good one. Wow, I love myself. I will answer that, but I do want to answer podcasts. Yes, yes, please. I have become very into this one. One, I listen to your podcast all the time, but acquired. Yes, um, I recommend to everyone. I have become, I don't want to say obsessed, but I I mean, I listen to it when I work out. It's unbelievable. And the breadth of stories they tell from the LVMH story to Taylor Swift is just awesome. I'm so glad you said that. I so recommend, it's these two VC guys who just talk about a business or a league for four hours and they just, but what's Tear amazing is the storytelling. And you've never seen that before. Maybe it yeah. exists somewhere else out there, but I've never heard somebody tell the story of a company in that magical way yes. of storytelling. And, Costco, and it's, Nike, yeah, LVMH. The Nike one incredible. is unbelievable. Yeah. LVMH is, I mean, he's amazing. a savage. Amazing. And, and it's just, it's, Acquired, every one of these can sure. become a movie. <laughs> yes. Like, anyway. Should've They're that, game seven. <laughs> you should have acquired. We'll send it to you. But those game seven moments for those entrepreneurs is really incredible. Exactly. That, that could be the sub podcast. There you go. We're here working um, for you. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> song. You're welcome. Um, song. Come gotcha. on, guys. Oh, my goodness. There's Final so countdown. Many, there's many out there. Maybe Sanitarium by Metallica. It starts out like really sort of melodic, but then yeah. it gets really. It gets started amping. Yeah, like okay. that, that song pumps me up when okay. I'm in the gym. All right. Mark? It might not be a great walkout song because it's you need to let it evolve. Let it run for a while. So it'd be a very long song. <laughs> it's going to come to me. All like, right, oh, so we'll keep God. moving. I'm going to come back at the end. All right, how about a book? You may have one. <laughs> I loved Ernest Shackleton's Endurance. Very it was nice. amazing. It was a incredible story of leadership personified. And this is Mount Everest, right? Uh, no, they got no. caught on an ice flow and they spent a year and a half yes. or more on an ice flow and they got everybody back alive. Amazing. And there was one guy that uh, he threw in jail when they got home for insubordination. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't good enough that they just survived. He had to jail yeah, the guy. Yeah, after a year and a half on the ice flow and hard labor and dug themselves out and did all this crazy stuff on these smaller boats and survived all the cold with, you know, I can imagine the clothes back then yeah. and all that. Like nothing like we have now, and survived it all, and then only to take the one guy that was a real pain in the ass. <laughs> That's captaincy. So endurance by Ernest. Schein. You have a book yourself, though. Yes, let's get a book. No one wins alone. I wrote a year and a half, two years ago now. Uh, no, so a year and a, I guess a year and a half. Wherever books are sold, is there an audio book? There's an audio book as well. Good. Yeah, say there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. thank right. you. Yeah, no one do a plug. Alone. We're here. No um, one does a podcast alone. No one does. Absolutely not. <laughs> Look at us all in here. Be a putting this whole thing here. together. We got 19 people in here, Matt. I was going to say no one wins alone. I was oh, definitely, I was very inspired by it. There, there are yeah. a lot of books. My wife has me reading some Titnet Han these days, which is very interesting. And there's one, The Art of Communication, which is quite interesting as well. But okay. uh, empathy related books. I get a lot of those. And I've always been a big fan of The Art of War. Art of War. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love The it. Art of War. Okay. Is, uh, everybody should read that. I love Sacred Hoops, Pat Riley, Winter Within. Those are really inspiring books. 
Pavarelli, there's a legend. That was a legend yeah. and still doing it, still, still successful. Talk Did about you watch Winning Time? Yes. Talk about creating a culture wherever oh he's gone. Wherever he's gone. Wherever he's gone. He's still doing it in Miami now after all these years. He's a it's legend. It's really remarkable. How is Winning Time stopping after two seasons? I know. Well, that's we'll get into a whole Hollywood talk if you want to in the economics <laughs> there. But I was going to ask, a show you've streamed recently, is it Winning Time? Or is there a favorite show? You're a big Peaky Blinders guy or something that you've watched that you recommend? Welcome mm, to Wrexham. I don't know. I would say the last one that I watched, which was pretty crazy, was Godless. Godless? Yeah. I don't know. What is that on? It's like the Western. Uh, have you guys, have anybody here seen the Godless? No? no? Not no, even heard of it? Crowd, well, no, there you go. God, that's that's no. how good popular right. my choices are. <laughs> is that Canadian TV? Everybody's going, Godless? Wait a minute. What was that one? that one? I don't even know why I watched it, but I ended up but watching it. By the way, it. a bonus one. What is your favorite sports movie of all time? Ooh. Can we go slap shot? Okay. We... Oh, okay, fine. <laughs> Easy one. I, I, it. Now it was, was that now, or Mighty Ducks? That was legendary now after <laughs> all these years. Slap I just watched shot. a clip on it the other day. It's such an I iconic mean, it actually now. plays through. Okay, slap shot. Matt, show. New show. I really enjoyed this last season of Untold, Netflix. I yeah, yeah, those are good. The Balco uh, one? Yeah, yeah really good. Muscles, but really good this particular season. Yeah. And then I just on the weekend have started to rewatch The Sopranos, which oh my gosh, that's a it's been, endeavor. what, 10 yeah. years or something? Well? Unbelievable. Oh, wow. Unbelievable. Okay. I, I highly recommend I watching it I gave him a sports again. movie. What's a can't miss concert for you? <sighs> that's not fair. There's no, been, there's been so one. many. Just like you have to, um, like, if this person's a memorable, in town, um, stop everything. Rolling Stones, because... Okay. Because sure, because they keep going. Um, okay. I saw the uh, U two at the Sphere. That was pretty. Did you yeah, go? I, I went. Them. Saw them back to back nights. Unbelievable. Is it as incredible as it is? Say? I'm going. To I, did, I hardly took a picture because I knew that taking a picture was never going to do it justice to send everybody. Wow. And I just told everybody, just do yourself a favor, buy a cheap ticket on yeah. a junket to Las Vegas, buy a ticket and go watch it. It's changed. It is just revolutionized the whole live music wow yeah oh it, it's amazing music man i wanted to, to go, go. I, I didn't Have i haven't gone yet briefly down under msg i was just happening passing by and he was kind of walking pacing back and forth <laughs> kind of get, rehearsing getting ready for the show there and just kind of gave it a quick what are his game seven moment who knows i'm right? sure he has a few has we'll a, tell those stories I'm sure we can't wait and that's a good way to wrap it up there are so many stories we're going to end it with bono on game seven that's a pretty yes, good way to end this. we did I, it I like all that. here well matt mark and we did it our way we did it our way we're here <laughs> we've been here hours but i'm so fired up for what you guys are doing we are so appreciative of your time today and for sharing your story and your game seven stories and this will be a really exciting endeavor. So thanks again for joining us. Looking here. forward to it. Thank you. All right. Looking thanks, guys. To it. Looking forward to come back and keeping you updated. Yeah, please do. We'll be well. upset if you don't. We got to see how this thing all plays out. But we're excited. This should be an exciting one. Awesome. All right. Thank take you. care, guys. Thanks. Thank take care. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with a friend and feel free to rate and review it wherever you're listening. Stay tuned for more Kindred Cast conversations from leaders in business and beyond.